Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We are in week number three of a series called Manger King. And Manger King is a study on King Jesus. And so often in this time of year, we look at the manger, we look at the surroundings of the manger, and I love that. I think we should be looking at Christmas all the time. It's not just for December or after Thanksgiving. Like, I'm of the mindset of next October, I'm putting the nativity up in my yard. If my neighbors can put ghosts and ghouls and witches' seances up in their yard and stuff like that. I could put a nativity up in my yard in October because Christmas and Jesus is someone to be celebrated all the time. And But too often, we can look at that. How many of you guys have gone to church more, have been in, in church around Christmas more than once? Like literally everyone. And what do we always look at around Christmas? Well, light, nativity of Jesus in the, the, the baby Jesus. We look at the nativity of Jesus in church, especially. And there's so much there. There's so much rich theology in, in the incarnation. That means Jesus, God becoming man. I love it. But sometimes... We forget that he became a man the first time. We, we call that his first coming so that he can reconcile the world at his second coming. And so I believe with everything happening in the world, that from the time Jesus ascended into heaven to right now, we have been in the last days. So like there wasn't like a point in like 1910 at January 5th, 1910, that it became the last days. It's been the last day since Jesus ascended. And if John, in 1 John said, we are in the last hour, and he wrote that 2,000 years ago, we must be in the last couple seconds. Where I, I could tell you, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But I could tell you this, we are a lot closer now than the first century church. And when you look at everything happening and how Hey, wait a second. There's wars and rumors of wars. That's kind of always happened, but now we're hearing it on a grand scale. There's increases like, like right now, in the last, since, since Israel became a nation, the number of earthquakes all over the world. There's earthquakes in the middle of continental plates. How does that happen? I don't know. But Jesus said there'll be earthquakes in various places, not in the common places. And then on top of that, there's, there's volcanic eruptions. There's all, famines everywhere. It's just, it's been, since Israel became a nation in 1948, it's been like growing and growing. And so I want to look at the second coming of Jesus. When you look at what's happening in this world, we can, Jesus said, when you see these signs, know that my coming is very close. No man knows the time or the hour. I'm not I'm not up here like looking at the calendar or anything like that, calculating and all these things. I'm not. I'm saying that the signs are there. We need to be, Jesus said, watch 
and wait and be ready when you see these things. So today I want to look at a section of scripture. It's actually, we're going to wrap up Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11 and go through the end of the chapter. And then we're going to read all of Revelation chapter 20. And I, I want us to see what happens when Jesus steps back on earth. So last week we kind of, we crash course the rapture. And if you want more information about all this stuff, I have information. I'm not going to get through eschatology, which is a whole theological subject in four weeks. I'm not an expert on prophecy. There are there are, we, are, we live in the most prophesied times. There are more prophecies about the end times than any other time in human history. And there's more prophecies being fulfilled day in and day out about this than any other time in history. It's mind-blowing. And statistically and mathematically, it is impossible. And yet, here we are. And so, the, the time frame for this, I'm not going to tell you it. I'm going to tell you the kind of order is Jesus became a man Christmas. 33 and a half years later, he got crucified for our sins in our place on our cross to pay what the, 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 the theological term is propitiation. That means atoning sacrifice. He became our atonement. That means he paid 100% of everything we owe to God. He didn't pay off the devil. We owe nothing to him. Our debt with sin was to God. We were, um, we were at war with God because of sin, and God made peace with us through Jesus' death and resurrection. And because of that, we can be in a relationship with Jesus by professing him as Lord of our life. Now, he ascended. To heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit down to inhabit the church to give us power to do the task that he asks us to do. The Great Commission is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the commands that Christ taught us. Okay? So we make disciples and preach the gospel. That's the command. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In us and on us. 2,000 years later. That's where we're at right now. The next thing that's going to happen to the church is the rapture. The rapture is a really cool biblical term. That's not a biblical term. We think it is. It's not even in the Bible. The word rapture. It, but it means calling away. And the doctrine of the rapture is throughout scripture. And What's going to happen is people who are born again, people who love the Lord, people who are going after him, not just playing church, not just going through the motions, but true, people who are truly surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is going to give the nod to good old Gabriel or whoever, one of them. That angel is going to pick up his horn. Probably not going to be a French horn because they're weak. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, It'll be, it'll, it'll be some sort of horn. They're going to blast that trumpet. 
And everyone who's born again is going to hear it, and then we're going to be transformed. The dead in Christ, all who have died from the time of Jesus till now, will raise up out of their graves, be reunited with their body, get a new body. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up to, to heaven with him. And suddenly, you know, over a billion people are going to be vanished from the earth then that gives rise to what is called, that, that marks the beginning of what the Bible calls the tribulation. For three and a half years, there'll be peace. For three and a half years, it will be a living hell on earth. Now, during that first three and a half years, it's going to get bad, though. Like, there's going to be bad stuff happening. The sun's going to get hotter, but then it gets intensified. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be all sorts of things happening during that first three and a half years. But there will be no Christian on earth to proclaim the word. Now, there will be people who thought they were Christian that were left behind that will suddenly understand, like, wait a second, I shouldn't have been pretending to be a follower of Jesus. I should have made, I should have made Jesus Lord of my life and not just showed up on a Sunday morning and act like everything was right. I should, I should have decided to go all in with Christ day in and day out. Those people, their attention will be got. And during that time, there's going to be all sorts of stuff rolling out. They'll have explanations why everyone's missing, but those people who were raised in church and then pretended to be Christian will know exactly. They're like, oh, yeah, I heard, a, I heard a pastor talk about this one time. They're going to know. This is exactly what the Bible says. And then the governments will start saying, hey, you actually have to get this mark or whatever to buy, sell, and trade. And so they're going to incentivize incentivize or that's a I don't know they're going to give you incentives to get this mark like you can't buy anything sell anything without this mark and the bible calls it the mark of the beast and if you don't take the mark and fall down on worship which is kind of interesting because you take the mark and worship the image of the beast and isn't that interesting is throughout history that's what's always happened what did they tell the three hebrew children Did not get a mark, but fall down and worship the image of the beast. Throughout the Old Testament, the devils always played the same game. Worship this idol. And literally, what's going to happen during the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to put an idol in the temple of God, and he's going to demand everyone worship it. And if you don't, you get your head cut off. But if you get the mark... Of the beast, also, I'm going to tell you. None, none of us will be there, but if you know people who will, tell them not to get the mark. It's too late. If you take the mark of the beast, it's too late. There is no salvation for you, only wrath. Stay strong, stand strong. None of us will be there, but you need to tell people. Like, if you're going to play with God, just know this don't take the mark and repent. You will lose your head, but it's going to be worth it because get this, the people who stand strong during the tribulation to lose their head, they get to be with Christ. He resurrects them at his second coming. So there's three and a half years of peace. This guy's going to step in and make peace with Israel and all these nations, and then he's going to break the treaty three and a half years in. All these nations are going to gather, and then it's going to literally be a living hell on earth. The sun's going to burn people like never before. Um, there, there, there's going to be locusts like never, like you'd think the plagues 
that drove Pharaoh mad were bad. Just wait until God releases the angels on this earth. The sun's going to turn dark and yet it's going to burn people. It's not even going to make sense. It's going to turn to blood. I mean, all sorts of crazy things in the book of Revelation. That's what happens after the rapture. That's what happens when Satan rules the earth. When, 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 when demons are in charge of everything, it goes to chaos. Because that's their only language. Chaos. Destruction. Death. Because there's not going to be anyone filled with the Holy Spirit. Crying out. And the people who do repent and the Holy Spirit comes in them, they get cut down. Wow, this is such a good Christmas message, Pastor Ryan. And so we step in to the second coming because all the nations gather around Israel and they're about to destroy it. Israel's not a very big nation. It's about the size of New Jersey, about the population in New Jersey. They're putting up a pretty good fight right now, though. And we need to pray for peace in Israel. We need to pray for God's um, God to intervene on their behalf. You cannot be a Christian and be anti-Semitic. Those two are oxymorons. God's, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Israel still has a spot in God's heart. Because he could have chose to step in to any people group he wanted to, but he chose to step in through the Israelites. He chose to let that people group be his lineage. And so there's this verse in Romans that says, to God there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Like what, what God is saying is we're all equal children of God when we're in Christ. But at the same time later, he says, actually, in, in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to, you know, um, to, to save those who are lost. And it says, first the Jew, then the Gentile. God's heart. The reason why salvation is open to us Gentiles is because God is trying to get the Jewish people jealous because he wants them to repent. So... We need to be praying for Israel right now. We always should be praying for God's people. Like God's people are us and God's people are the Jews. It's both and. It's not either or. And so we step into the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to get real deep into, into this. I, I would rather give us very practical what is our response to this heavy theological um, teaching? Because we, we can have, there's, I had a whole year in college dedicated to this. We're talking three hours a week studying this subject, okay? We're going to spend three hours, no, I'm joking. We're going to spend a couple minutes talking about the subject. Now, 
So in that couple minutes, what I want us to do is have a response. What is our responsibility? How should I look at this knowing that this is about to happen? What's my responsibility moving forward in light of that? Because I always want us to be applicable walking out because God's word's applicable no matter where you're at in it. So um, with that said, I got to tell you a joke. Oh my gosh, you guys thought I forgot. Um, this, this blonde lady... Um, she, uh, she come into a windfall of money and she wanted to rent out an entire stadium and she sent out this call in the news and newspapers. And she said, I want all the blondes, I want all the blondes to come to the stadium and we're going to prove once and for all that blondes are not dumb. And she got big news um, organizations there, and she got a well-known news anchor to come host this event, and she packed this stadium full of 50,000 blonde women. And um, she gets up on stage, and the news anchor is like, okay, the point of this is to prove that blonde people are not dumb, and so I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I just want you to answer them. And the first question was, Name one country other than our own. Just one country. She thought about it for about 15 seconds. And she said, Paris. And then the whole stadium, the whole stadium just went, oh. and they started chanting, give her one more chance, give her one more chance, give her one more chance. And so the news anchor's like, well, since we're here on live television and I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. Um, I want you to tell me what three times eight is. So she thought about it for about 30 seconds, really chewed on it, and she said, 36. And everyone went, oh. And they started yelling, give her one more chance. Give her one more chance. Give her one more chance. And then he's like, all right, all right, I'll. I'll give you one more chance. He's like, all right, what's two plus two? And she thought about it for about a minute and a half. And she goes, four. And then you hear everyone stand up and, and all this rustling and this excitement filled the stadium. And then they all started screaming, give her one more chance. Give her one more chance. It's so dumb. It's, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. All right, all right. Let's jump in. Verse 11, chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name written on him that no one understands except himself he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest, um, the armies of heaven dressed in the fi finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. 
He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was the, written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet um, God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, strong warriors, of and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, of all humanity, both free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. I love Christmas. I love, I love King Jesus. That sword, I mean, if he has a sword coming out of his mouth, I'm not going to say anything. But I imagine this is what it means. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a word out there, but he's, he said, you're defeated. And they were just wiped out. No, it's crazy. He gathers all the armies of heaven, and guess what? We get to be in that army. We get to ride on the horses behind him, and all we have to do is watch. He just, one word, wipes out the armies of the world. Chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so that Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them, and he had, and on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worship the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. The, the rest of the dead are those who worship the beast. Are those, they, don't get, they don't get to partake, partake and the reign of Christ on earth. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years had come to an end, Satan will be let out of prison. He will go out and deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them for a battle. 
a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. The enemy doesn't learn, ever. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and the one, and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from those in his, from his presence, and they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Next week is going to be much better when the children are in here. (laughs) We're going to be looking at the new heavens and new earth and eternity with God. Well, why, why is Satan released for a thousand years? It's because during the reign of Christ... This earth is not going to be destroyed. He's going to come set up kingdoms and there's going to be governors and it's going to be ran perfectly how it should be all over the world. And people are going to be getting married. People are going to be born during the thousand year reign. And the people who are born will have never known sin. And this is how cool God is and how awesome he is. Cool isn't the right word. How awesome he is because God will never, ever force someone into eternity without giving them the choice. And so he lets the enemy out at the end of his reign so those who are born without any proclivity to sin, without any temptation to sin, can experience temptation and then they can have the choice of choosing to to serve Jesus and to make him Lord or not. And it says that he deceives a lot of people, countless, as countless as the sand on the, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. But God, that's how much God loves free will. He loves your free will so much that he would never force eternity on someone without giving them the choice. But then he ends it. And so we see all this. And we see King Jesus Stepping up and stepping in twice and just eliminating the enemy. The enemy doesn't even stand a chance. Before the battle even begins, the beast and the false prophet were captured. Like, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. And I want us to get a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Because sometimes we can see him in the manger, we can see him on the cross, we can see him after the resurrection, ascending to heaven. 
But the Jesus who's sitting on the throne right now has fire in his eyes and a name on his chest that says, King of kings and Lord of lords, and a sword in his mouth, and he's about to mount a righteous steed with the hordes of heaven, and he's about to crack open the sky. And it's interesting, the only response that humanity has to unfiltered glory the only response that humanity has to unfiltered anointing, the only response that humanity has to unfiltered Jesus is defeat and worship. They either get defeated, before they get defeated, they, they fall in worship. I don't care if they took the mark. I don't care if they, they um, are in the army gathered against Jesus. When they see him step through the eastern sky, they realize suddenly that's truth and we've been sold a lie. They fall on their face without a word spoken. And, you know, this is going to happen right over the Mount of Olives in Israel. But when people are watching this on their phone in the United States, they're going to see that and they're going to instantly be terrified. Wow, we've been lied to. They're going to fall on their face face down and worship. Jesus, you are king. You are king. You are king. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. And they're going to be worshiping. You will worship Jesus. The only response to unfiltered Jesus is to fall down in terror. And we have a choice. We can fall down in terror now and worship him. Or we could fall down in terror later and go to hell. The sight of his majesty is not something to be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, my goodness, I just got chills. The sight of his majesty is terrifying. Throughout the Bible, there's only one response to the unfiltered majesty of God. It's terror. It's fear. The Israelites, God wanted to speak to them directly, and they gathered around the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And God speaks to them directly, and the whole camp was terrified. He thundered from the mountain, and this is what they told Moses. Moses, don't ever let that happen again. You speak to him on our behalf, which is really sad because God really wanted to have intimacy with his people. His heart wasn't, his heart, yeah, they should have a holy fear of God, but that was God being gentle to them. When Isaiah the prophet, this man wrote the longest book in the whole Bible, like, well, it doesn't have the most chapters. It doesn't, but if you line it up word for word in a straight line, it's longer than the book of Psalm. Isaiah is the longest book in the whole Bible. This man is a man of God. He, he prophesied. My God used him so powerfully. He prophesied to king after king after king. And he was so bold. And one moment in the presence of God, he said, woe is me. I'm undone. I, come, I have unclean lips. Instantly. You know what the, no, is so interesting is because the presence of God and the unfiltered power of God instantly makes us realize how much sin we have. It doesn't give us goosebumps. We've reduced the presence of God to goosebumps and chills. 
And so I, I want, in light of the second coming and the millennial reign and the final judgment, I want to equip us with something that will, I pray, keep us out of the tribulation that will help us be ready and, to, and, and, and it will change our lives to where we live our life for him. Because I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone of us here during the tribulation. I want to be out before any of that happens. I want you guys to be out before any of that happens. But I want to give you something today that will help you be ready. So I want to give you a proper view of God. When you look at all this, like it's cool to see all this. Like, wow, yeah, Jesus is kicking butt and taking names. That's awesome. But when you boil it down deeper, get past the surface of it, you realize, whoa, Jesus is a mighty king that doesn't take shots from anyone. They didn't get one thing off. He just said, well, I don't know what he says. You're defeated or I win or in your face. I, I don't know what he says. But he says something, wipes them out. Just his word, like, whoa. Just how he enters. Like, think about that. Sky cracks open. And too, suddenly the spirit realm, God's realm and heaven and earth's realm and the physical collide and Jesus steps through on a horse with the hordes of heaven. Whoa. So a proper view of God, a proper view of God fears God. A proper view of God creates a healthy fear of God. So let's define what it means to fear God for a moment. Because sometimes I can say fear God and there's probably, I don't know, 30 different opinions about what that means. The Western church, the United States and Europe and Australia and kind of people that think alike, they've boiled the fear of God down to a holy reverence of God to where it's almost like we need to revere him, but we don't need to be afraid of him. And that is not biblical. C.S. Lewis, I think, really defines it well. He says that God is not tame. And so when we think about a reverence, like I just got, a, I just got my ordained card from the Assemblies of God, and it says reverend. That means to revere. I can tell you this. I'm nothing to revere. And to put me on the same category as God is completely idiotic. Don't do that, ever. It's so much more than reverence. Should A proper fear of God should produce a holy reverence. But it's so much more than reverence. Is, so so I wanna, I'm just going to read a scripture real quick. Matthew 10, 28. This is what Jesus says about fearing God. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. He's, what he's saying is, don't fear man. All they can do is kill your body. Your body's temporary. You are eternal. So if, if man kills you, they kill you. But then he says, fear only God 
who can destroy both soul and body. If God wanted to, he could think and you would come out of existence and no one would know. No one would miss you because it would be like you never existed. So that word for fear there, I, I just want to give it to you because we could think, well, that's, a, that's an interesting word that Jesus used. And that's like, what a part of that to say, just have a holy reverence for God. That doesn't even make sense. Have a holy reverence for God who can destroy both your soul and body. No, what he just said invokes terror. Who can destroy both your soul and body in hell? That's not like, oh, that's just a holy reverence. Oh, my goodness. No. So the word here in the original language, what, what people would have heard when Jesus said this was phobeo. What does that sound like? Phobia? That's actually the word that we get phobia from. And it literally means to be terrified. So when Jesus was telling people to fear God, saying, you need to be terrified. Hmm. Well, I don't want to serve a God that I have to be afraid of. Well, then you don't want to serve the God that can save your soul. Well, God is, he's a loving father. He is. But he's also God Almighty. He's also holy and just. Everything he does is just. Every part of him. When he judges people, he's not just going to judge their actions. He's going to judge the intentions of their heart behind their actions. So they might do the right thing with the wrong intentions, and he's going to judge that. Like, well, you did the right thing, but I see your heart. Why did you really help that old lady across the street? Did you do it so people like, oh, he's such a young, nice young man or whatever, or did you do it because you really wanted to help? You know what I'm saying? That's how good God is at judging. Because he doesn't just see the evidence. He sees why behind the evidence. Which is heavy. That's why you need to be able to plead Jesus. You got to be covered in the blood of Jesus. And when you get covered in the blood of Jesus and you get born again, your name gets written in that book of life. So when they're going through all these books and they're like, oh, you did this, you did this, you thought this, you did that, you said that. And then at the end, they open up the book. And if your name is in the book, it says all this is covered because your name's in this book because you're covered in Jesus. But if you get to the end and your name's not in this book, you have to, you're judged by this. If your name's in the book of life, you're judged by the book of life. Praise God for Jesus' blood that covers all the things. But that, man, I, I don't, it's so deep. I don't want anyone to go to hell. There is a second death coming. Should we revere God? Absolutely. But true reverence for God comes from a healthy fear of God. This is throughout the Bible. Even Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. You want wisdom in your life? You need to have fear of God. You're not going to make decisions properly unless you have a healthy fear of God. Because you will make decisions based on you and not God in mind. Everything we do as a follower of Jesus, we have to make a decision based on, Lord, is this your will? 
and we, we cherish his will and direction because we fear him and love him. So I, I, wanna, I want to give you just a few things. I'm going to speed through these. But the overflow in our life of living with a proper fear of God. Because there's overflow. When we have a healthy fear of God, a biblical fear of God, not just a reverence, but a healthy fear of God, it produces overflow in our life, and it's beautiful. And so I'm, this is not an extensive list. This is not an end-all list. This is a beginning, and, and I'm, I'm trying to help you guys to realize maybe I need to start fearing God a little more. So the first thing that a healthy fear of God does is we remember who he is. A fear of God, when you encounter the presence, unfiltered power of God, you suddenly remember who he is. I remember, and, and it's interesting because one time I was praying with this lady at Planet Fitness and the Lord healed her and she encountered the presence and the power of God all at once. And guess what she started doing? Confessing her sins to me. I'm like, I, didn't, I did not mention sin at all. I wasn't trying to get her... I, I literally turned around and went back because the Lord told me she had chronic neck pain. And all I did was talk about chronic neck pain. And I prayed for her neck and the Lord healed her neck. She felt the power of God and she says, I got to quit drinking and smoking. I'm like, well, God can set you free from that too. And she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ because when you encounter the fear of God, he exposes the things in your life that you don't need anymore. And so... Remember who he is. Is he our friend? Yes. Is he our savior? Yes. Is he our loving father? Yes. Is he our provision? Yes. Is he, is he El Shaddai? Is he more than enough? Yes. Is he the great I am? Yes. Is he all that we need? Yes. Does he care for you? Yes. But he's also almighty God. The Bible says we're friends of God. Yes. But being a friend of God is not the same as me and Andy or me and Pastor Nathan being friends. We're peers. I'm not God's peer. It's an honor that he considers me a friend. But he's God Almighty. If he wanted to, he can stop thinking about me and I would cease the very fact that you exist is proof that God's thinking about you. The heart and posture that produces a move of his spirit is the fear of the Lord. If I would say, guys, do you want revival and a move of the spirit in Columbia in C1? All the hands would go up. My hands would go up really high. But what produces that? I, I think there's a few ingredients, being a person of prayer, being a person that's humble, but first and foremost is fear, treating what is holy, holy, and treating what is sacred, sacred. God is holy, he's sacred, and we need to understand who he is and not treat him commonplace. We want to move of the spirit. We got to fear God, not take him for granted. It's, it, it is literally the first ingredient in a move of the Spirit when, 
when we get a healthy fear of God and we repent from not fearing him properly, taking him for granted, treating him as unholy or, or common. That really what, what unholy means is common. The second thing, an overflow of living with a proper fear of God does in our life, and this is so good, it makes us not want to sin. When we fear God and his hatred of sin, we will take sin seriously in our lives. When you understand what sin is, you don't want to do it. It is an affront to who you are. It's an affront to who God is making you to be. The Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer and born-again person of Jesus Christ. And, and so when, when you understand how serious sin is, I think that we forget that to address the sin issue in humanity, God had to send his son to become flesh to die for it. He bankrupt heaven to address sin. And yet we treat it as like, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness. If you have the attitude of I'll just ask for forgiveness, I would question whether you're born again. Because God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sin in your place that you might have relationship with him. And I, I, I love you too much not to tell you this. Sin is a big deal and God wants to burn it out of you. Because he wants you in heaven for eternity with him. And sin will destroy you. It, the wages of sin is death. The overflow of sin is death. I've never seen someone who's addicted to anything actually live a healthy life. Physically, you see people like, I only do drugs like, you know, twice a week. And they're, their face is completely rotted and potted and they have no teeth. The wages of sin is death. It literally affects you physically. You see people like, well, I only drink every, every other day or whatever like that. Sure, cool, go for it. But then, you know, years later when they have cirrhosis of the liver and their body can't handle it, you know, like the wages of sin is death. I'm not saying drinking alcohol is a sin. I'm saying getting drunk is a sin. If you make that a practice, you need to stop. But the wages of sin is death. And when we have a proper understanding of how much God hates sin, because he's holy, he's righteous, he made a way for us not to want to sin. And it's the Holy Spirit. So when we fear God properly, we choose to say no to our flesh. In fact, the Bible says don't use your flesh, flesh as an instrument for unrighteousness or as an instrument to sin. But use your bodies as an instrument for righteousness. So you have a choice. Well, I'm just addicted. Then get accountability and say no. When you start taking the things that God takes seriously, serious in your life, your life will turn around. Some of you guys are under a curse because you're letting sin prevail in your life and you can't figure out what's going on in your life. Take it seriously because God's taking it seriously and he wants to set you free. Listen to the people that love you. I love you. I don't want you to allow things into your life that would destroy you. 
when we have a proper fear of God, it makes us not want to because I love God. I love him so much. Why would I want to do anything that would hurt him? And he died for me. Why would I want that? On top of that, he's going to judge me one day. The Western church has made it so lackadaisical in our approach to sin in our life because God's so full of grace. He is full of grace. And he's so full of mercy. But that's not an excuse to allow things to create a stronghold in your life. There is deliverance in Jesus. If you really wanted to be free from something, you would choose to do it. Man, I love Christmas messages. They're so good. They're so good. The, la- the, the, the second thing, the, the next thing, the third thing I really want to hit you with real quick, maybe hit you with is the wrong term, um, present to you, to chew on. When we have a healthy fear of God, the overflow is it reminds of his, of his great grace and mercy. We understand that he is... We understand who he is and his standard for our lives. It reminds us that day in and day out, God Almighty is pouring in grace and mercy on us. Because maybe you're, maybe you're to the point where you're like, I, I, Ryan, I really don't, I, I despise sin and I'm constantly surrendering my flesh to the Lord. But I still sin sometimes. Well, welcome to the club, we all do. And our response to that is, oh my goodness, when you see who he is, and how much he hates sin, and yet he's pouring out grace on me right now? Wow. He's pouring out mercy on me? Even though he's holy and righteous and grace, grace, I'm like, oh my goodness, why is he doing this? When you understand who he is and you have a healthy fear of God, you appreciate the amount of grace he pours out on us daily. How many times have we sinned and not knowing it? How many times have we sinned knowing we sinned? How many times have we lost it and looked nothing like Jesus? I can't count how many times I've lost it. I can't count how many times I've sinned. Whether I've sinned by omission, not knowing it, or commission, absolutely knowing I'm sinning. I can't count them. I'm also from Arkansas. I can't count that high. But it's a lot. It's a lot. And the fact that I'm here is God's grace and God's mercy. The fact that you're here is God's grace and your mercy. The fact that he hasn't wasted you. The fact that you're still breathing. The fact that you're in a church on a Sunday morning in 2023 is God's grace and mercy on your life. He's saying, I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another chance. Come to me. Run to me. It's God's mercy on you. But the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Some of us are going to hear this message and be hardened. Well, I don't need that. And some of us are going to hear this message and say, Oh my God, you're so gracious and you're so merciful. Forgive me. And he's saying, You're forgiven. A healthy fear of God reminds us of his great grace and his great mercy all over our life. We're only this far because of his mercy. You've only made it this far because of his grace. 
There have been so many opportunities God could have taken me out. There have been so many opportunities he could have just withdrew that. And he didn't because he loves me and he loves you. I guarantee you if I went around the room right now, every one of us would have a story, maybe multiple stories of how we should be dead. We should be physically dead, either a car accident, freak accident, heart something or another, and yet we're alive because of the mercy of God. He's saying, I'm not done with you. I have a plan for you. When you have a proper fear of God, it reminds you of his mercy and grace. The last thing I want to leave you with real quick is when we have a proper fear of God, it makes us do what pleases him. What pleases God? Sometimes I think that in the church we can really get caught up in doing things for God. Like, well, I need to go serve. I need to jump on a team. I need to take care of my neighbor. I need to love, you know, I, 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 I have to do this. I have to do, 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 do. In the Bible, what does it say? It says, don't just be hearers of the words, be ye doers. But before it says, be ye doers, it says, be. So what pleases God? Before you could ever do something in service to God, he just wants you to be with him. Worship him. Just worship him. Cultivate a spirit of intimacy with the Lord. When you have a, like, knowing who God is and the fact that he wants a relationship with me and he's God Almighty, he's, he, he's a, the lily of the valley, he's a bright and morning star, he is the first and last, he's the alpha and omega, he is who he is, he always was, always is, and always will be, he's God, and the fact that he wants intimacy with me, what pleases him is me just spending time with him. Some of us just need to stop our busyness and try, stop trying to do, 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 do. And try to, and, and just be, 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 be with him. Worship him. Draw, another thing, draw near to Jesus. Don't go, don't add something to your list. Oh, I gotta read the Bible, I gotta pray, I gotta do all this. If you're doing it to do it, then it's not gonna do what you think it's gonna do. But if you take and spend time with the Lord in devotion and in worship and in prayer and reading the Bible, and you do it because I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to get to know this God Almighty that Pastor Ryan's speaking about. Suddenly, it starts to change us. We start to feel that intimacy. We start to realize, wait, he's here with me right now in this moment. Uh, there have been many a times where I woke up and I just... And, and like, for instance, I'm just going to be real with you for a moment because I grew up with video games, guys. Don't judge me. But yesterday I woke up at 5 a.m. And I was like, I really want to go play Call of Duty. My kids aren't up. I have the whole TV to myself. This is awesome. I'm just going to go do it. And this thought went through my head. What if you read the Bible? I'm like, well, that's a better idea. And I just started reading I read the first three chapters in Revelation just laying there and I set it down and I just, and I started meditating on it. And then suddenly the, 
the conviction of the Holy Spirit started working in me because if you read the first three chapters of the Revelation, they're letters to the church. And it's like, Jesus is like, I see all the good things you've done, but I hold this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. I'm like, oh. They're like, oh, hey, I know that you're taking care of the sick and the widows, but here's the thing. You're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm like, oh. Suddenly I found myself saying, God, Make me like you. Forgive me of ever being lukewarm. Forgive me of lose. I want my first love with you again. That, that, that's, that's what a healthy fear of the Lord does. It makes us want to do the things that please him. Because he's God. You're not. Isaiah gives this example of how we're clay. And he's a potter. The, the, the potter gets to mold the clay. The clay doesn't get to say to the potter, I want to be a bowl or I want to be a chalice or I want to be whatever. The clay just gets formed by the master. And that's what God is to us. He's the master. He's forming us. We got to trust him. We got to fear who he is. The next thing, what pleases God? Praying faith-filled prayers this is mind blowing I'm not entirely sure I've wrapped my mind around it maybe I never will for eternity I'm going to contemplate this but we have God Almighty who says hey Jesus said if you're going to fear anything fear God be terrified of him at the same time he's a loving father and he says come to me boldly with all kinds of prayers and requests so it's, it's kind of this oxymoron of God, you're God. And we come to you, the Father, in humility, and we can walk into the throne room boldly in humility and present faith-filled prayers. Because get this, though he's God Almighty, he's not offended by big prayers. He loves it when we pray big things. He loves it when we pray things that are impossible for us to do. Because when we pray things that are impossible, you know what that means? Is we're surrendering to the miraculous. We're surrendering to the new supernatural. When you pray a prayer that is impossible for you to answer, that's when God shows up. Because if you can answer it, then just do it. Lord, help me to be a more loving person. Guess what? Choose to not be a jerk. Wow, you just answered your own prayer. Now you start saying, Lord, give me boldness to share the gospel boldly. That's like, that's a move of the Holy Spirit. Father, save that loved one. I don't know what else to do. Lord, I need increase in my finances because what I make is not enough. I can't make anything more. You start praying faith-filled big prayers. God's like, yes, you're getting it. You're starting to see who I am. I'm God Almighty. I'm God Almighty. I want to move in your life mightily. But it all starts with understanding who King Jesus is. 
than having a healthy fear of who he is. And I, I think that some of us have, have really... Stop that. I'm not speaking to the team or anyone. I'm, I'm speaking to the sound system. I think some of us have gotten lackadaisical in our approach to the Lord. We've, we've taken him for granted. I'm not saying we have. I'm saying it's so easy to do, especially, you know, I, I could take Amy for granted the longer I'm with her. She's been with me for 11 years. And if I'm not intentional about pursuing her and realizing who she is and the gift that she is to me, I'll just take her for granted. And all that she does for me, and then I'll start, not, I'll, I'll, I'll stop being intimate. I'll stop going out of my way to be annoying. You know, I'll just, I'll stop doing the things that enrich our marriage because, and, and, and some of us can be like that. We forgot who God is. We, we, we've let a healthy fear of God turn into uh, more of a Western thought of God, of, oh, he's just a loving, gracious God. And then suddenly it's actually stopped us from living a life for God. In fact, we've actually started doing things that don't honor God at all. We started doing things that, that the world does and they say it's okay. I could give you a list of things. I don't want to list them out, but I, I can the world says, hey, it's okay to shack up. It's okay to live together. It's okay to, to, um, to, um, to do that because everyone else does it. No, God says, get married. The world says, hey, you know what? Pornography is so common. It's okay. God says, no. No, sexual immorality is always wrong. Always has been, always will be. The world would say, the world will say, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's all right to to gamble, and and you know, and I'm not saying that's a sin or not a sin. I'm saying that it destroys families, and God's not about that. He's about enriching and restoring families. And the list goes on and on. We'll say, oh, it's Friday night. Let's go get drunk. God says, don't get drunk. Be sober-minded. And we have Christians that are inviting this into their life. And they think they're living for the Lord. And they're not. But in God's mercy and grace, he's given you time. And you have a decision. Know how you, know how you decide to live for the Lord? First of all, if you're not a believer, you say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. And then he'll start addressing that stuff. If you are in a relationship with the Lord and you've said yes to these things, get this, it's so simple. Start saying no. I don't want to do that. If you're in a relationship that says like, hey, we, you know, come over to my house, stay the night or whatever, say no. Stand on righteousness and God will bless you. So what I, want, what I want to do, like this is, once again, this is one of those things where it's not like a, a traditional response. If you, if you need a relationship with the Lord, you've never asked Jesus as the Lord of your life, I'm going to be up here. I want to lead you to the Lord. Maybe you want to pray with my wife. My wife will be up here. And we want to lead you to the Lord first and foremost. Second of all, I think I want us to examine ourselves. Say, Lord, 
Forgive me if I haven't had a healthy fear of you and restore that to me so I can walk in intimacy with you. I want you to move in my life. And he'll start revealing things that you need to repent of. He'll, and that's a personal thing. Maybe you want to come up and kneel at the altar. Maybe you want to turn around and kneel at your seat. Maybe you're saying, man, I'm good. I'm going to worship my, lift with my hands up. But there should be a response. You don't hear the word of God and not respond. There's always a response to the word of God. What I don't want is you to respond by letting, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to respond and you don't, what that does is actually hardens your heart. And the next time you hear the gospel, it makes it actually harder for you to receive the message of the gospel. And you keep getting harder if you don't respond. And what what the Holy Spirit sounds like in these moments is, just go pray. Go pray with him. Kneel down, repent. He whispers it. The enemy, what the enemy sounds like in these moments is, no, don't, stop, don't go up there. He screams it at you because he doesn't want you to change. But God is here and he loves you. The same Jesus is going to cut open the sky. It's here to meet with you and he can cut through your past. He can cut through everything that's holding you back. And the way he splits open the sky, he can split open your heart and just meet with you right here. So as the team starts to lead, let's stand. Let's stand. It's easier to move when you're standing. If you need to repent, if you need prayer, if we're going to be up here, if you need to turn around, let's respond to the Spirit of God. If you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. This is God's mercy on your life. Don't walk away from this moment without repenting and giving your life to Jesus. As the team leads, let's respond. I sing praises to your name. Praises to your name. The name that's oh much higher than all names. And all Jesus, and honor to your name. 
here today and you say, Ryan, I don't even know where to begin, but I, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I, I'm paralyzed in fear. Here's the thing. God is greater than your fear. He doesn't give us that spirit. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit here in a moment. So if you're here and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, I had a conversation a couple weeks ago and the person said, I, I don't know what to do after giving my life to Jesus. Let's let God worry about that. Let's make the first step. The first step is to recognize Jesus as Lord. So if you're here and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe you're here today and you've been you're giving your life to Jesus, but your life hasn't reflected. Some of the decisions you're making is actually not reflecting Jesus at all. It's starting to look like the world. I mean, if that's you, I, I just every eye bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just lift up your hand. Yeah, yeah. This is what this is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. We're all gonna pray this together. Okay. And I want to understand what we're about to do. We're going to pray a prayer, but this prayer literally does nothing if your heart is not postured towards the Lord. Now, if your heart's postured to the Lord and you mean what you say and you say what you mean, what's going to happen to you upon that moment of repentance is the Holy Spirit is going to enter you and he's going to start cleaning house. What does that mean? That means he's gonna start, start taking things out of your life that will destroy you, or he's gonna start convicting you of things that will destroy you because the Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life. And God wants to give life to the full. And so we're gonna pray a prayer. 
And when the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then we will be saved. It's so simple. So let's pray this together. I'm going to lead and you're going to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are God Almighty. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin in my place. And I believe that you rose back to life, conquering hell, death, sin, and the grave for me. I ask that you forgive me of all my sin and that you come be Lord of all my life. In your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. I want to say this to you. Welcome to the family. If you pray that for the first time, welcome to the family of God. If you've given your life back to Jesus, welcome back. You are part of the family of God. Let's give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. There is like four or five hands that went up. God loves you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy, that you're God Almighty and that you love us. Lord, I pray right now for your church, that you go before them, Lord, that you keep them, that you bless them and keep them. Father, I pray that you will turn your countenance towards them and may they have peace in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.